in some ways, it is incredibly fitting that we are preaching through the 10 plague narrative in the wake of a plague-filled year in 2020, what the New York Post called the year from hell. I might say it was the year from the book of Exodus. <laughs> I mean, setting COVID aside, the actual plague of 2020, we experienced the economic collapse in the wake of COVID, including a historic stock market drop. We experienced the death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matters protests that ensued and the white supremacy backlash that followed all the way up to the Capitol insurrection between raging wildfires and historic hurricanes and volcanic eruptions and, and catastrophic earthquakes. It seemed like the planet itself was trying to spit us out. We lost beloved figures like Kobe Bryant and Alex Trebek, we even suffered at the hands of murder hornets. If there was any year that would remind someone of these chapters in the book of Exodus, it was this year. And the question kind of lingered for lots of people. What, how do we process everything that's happening? And there was no shortage of Christians rushing to social media and other platforms to say definitively that this was the, the judgment of God against a society that had lost its way, that God was unleashing God's wrath in order to pound into dust bad people who refused to obey. And I think it's, tragic that so many of us live with that kind of perception of who God is. I think the events of 2020 and the plague narratives out of the book of Exodus teach us a different way to think about and to process these sorts of moments in life. Because I said last week that we were going to go through the plague narratives, not looking, you know, plague by plague all the way through, but we were going to examine them as a whole through several different themes. And so last week we looked at the plague narratives as the story of God's confrontation against the gods of Egypt to show that God is greater and higher and better than anything else that we could look for in life and, and worthy and deserving of our entire allegiance so that we could experience the life we always wanted. Well, this week, we're going to look at the same plague stories again, but through a different lens, through the lens of God's confrontation with the empire of Egypt and its representative, Pharaoh. I hope you pause the video to read the verses that we recommended this week. But here are the first few verses of, the, of Exodus chapter 8, starting verse 20. It says, Yahweh said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes out to the water. Say to him, this is what Yahweh says. Let my people go so that they can worship me. And if you refuse to let my people go, I'll send swarms of insects on you, your officials, your people, and your houses. All Egyptian houses will be filled with swarms of insects and also the ground that they cover. How do we understand a story like this? Well, I think to understand this story, we have to begin by understanding the very first story in the Bible, the story of creation. 
Because the story of creation sets the context for everything that comes after it in the Bible. And it is the story of a God who desires to bring forth a creation that is filled with light and life and abundance and peace that is founded on the overflow of God's love. And it is filled with what the Jewish people call shalom, which could be translated into English as flourishing. God desires the fullness of creation to be a place of life and light and love. And in the creation story, we see over and over again that in order to accomplish that, God has to do battle against the forces of darkness and chaos and injustice and destruction and death. In ancient mythologies of creation, those forces of darkness and death were represented by a mythical serpent called the Tanin. The Tanin was the kind of mythical representation of the forces of evil and darkness and chaos and destruction at work in the world. And in order to create the world that reflects the beauty of God's love and flourishing and and, and passes it on to humanity, God has to defeat the forces of chaos and destruction and death, the Tanin. And we saw last week how in the story of Exodus, Pharaoh who is represented by a serpent, becomes the embodied manifestation of the forces of chaos and injustice and destruction and death in the world. And God is going to do battle because Pharaoh at every point in the story is working at cross purposes with God's purpose to fill the world with light and life and abundance and peace on the overflow of God's love. Pharaoh's working against God politically. In the creation story, God creates every human being in God's image so that every human being equally shares in the full dignity of what it means to participate in the divine life by virtue of their humanity, which means that every human being is worthy of the same dignity, but not in the minds of Pharaoh or empire. Empire always determines that some lives are worth more and other lives are worth less. That in the language of our empire, there are some lives that don't matter. Pharaoh's working against God in distributing the abundance of creation fairly. The way empire always works is to take advantage of weak and vulnerable peoples, to take advantage of their labor in order to further advantage, to to further the economic advantage of the wealthy. There's always a wealth gap between rich and poor. And in the empire, when it's working against God's purposes, that gap grows as the rich grow richer on the backs of the poor. Jeff Bezos is the richest human being who's ever lived, whose net worth is inching towards a trillion dollars, while his warehouse workers don't even get health care. That's how empire works. It it works against God's purposes in the willingness to mistreat weak and vulnerable people. Or for those of us who aren't in the business of mistreating anybody, to not participate, but to benefit from, to turn a blind eye to the mistreatment of others 
because of the way that it benefits us. And the way to understand the plagues then is that these are not God's punishment. This isn't the unleashing of God's wrath, that God is just losing God's mind and pounding into dust everybody that makes him angry. That's not what God is like. As Brian Zond has said, that in the New Testament, Jesus shows us that God is a God that would rather die for God's enemies than kill them. No, no, no. The plagues are the creational backlash that happened when we live at cross purposes with God. In the ancient world, they understood in ways that we have forgotten that our cosmos is a unity. It is entirely in harmony. And just as there are laws that govern nature, there are laws that govern human behavior and societal behavior. And when you disrupt the laws of human behavior, human society, when you live at odds with how human beings are supposed to live individually in a community with each other, you disrupt the harmony of the entire creation. You can see this in the way that some of the plagues are directly targeted at behaviors the Egyptian empire engaged in. The first plague was an attack on the Nile, which was the economic engine of the Egyptian empire. And it turns into blood as a way of symbolically saying, your economic engine has been fueled, has been greased with the blood of Israelite slaves. In one of the plagues that we read today, Moses reaches into a kiln and throws ash into the air and there are boils all, all over human bodies. It's the ash from the kiln where the Israelite slaves were forced to break, bake bricks for the Egyptian empire that inflicts the illness on everybody else. In, in the later plagues, all of the crops are destroyed, including the straw that the, Egypt, that the Israelites were forced to gather to bake the bricks. In, in, in every ways, there's a direct correlation, not cause and effect, but there is a correlation between the experience of the Egyptian empire with the behaviors they engaged in. In other words, by virtue of the fact that they were living at cross purposes with God's heart to fill creation with light and life and abundance and peace, rooted in the overflow of God's love to fill creation with flourishing for all, they unleashed the chaotic forces of, of the world and were victimized by them. At every place that God steps in and says, I will, I will end this plague, God is once again demonstrating that, that the Egyptian empire could experience light and life and abundance and peace rooted in the overflow of God's love, shalom and flourishing for all if they would only cooperate with the purposes of God. And friends, this message matters to us because in the 21st century, we live in the modern equivalent of the Egyptian empire. Our society is the current global empire and empires always behave the same. And God is saying to us that we can experience the light and the life and abundance and peace that of the overflow of God's love only if we cooperate with God's purposes in the world. If we don't, um, that is an unsustainable way to live. That will eventually blow up in our face. 
which is good news, you know, comfort to those who are already afflicted by this empire. Those who are afflicted by the evil of others, whether sexism or ageism or ableism or racism or homophobia, those who are excluded because they were foreigners and immigrants or those who are being abused and mistreated for other reasons. It's good news to those who are being oppressed just by circumstance in life, by disease and illness, by mental health challenges, just by circumstances out of their control. It is God's way of saying, this will not stand. I will not let this continue forever. But it's also bad news. Affliction for the comfortable, for those who have perpetuated or who have participated in, or those who have been willing to turn a blind eye to the way that others, the vulnerable, the weak, are mistreated and oppressed because it actually benefits us in some way to mistreat other people. It is God's way of saying, this will not stand. I will not permit this to go on forever. And in fact, God has already taken the decisive action to ensure that this does not go on forever. Using the language of the Exodus, the Apostle Paul talks about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1 this way. Paul says, God rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son God loves. God set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. You can hear the language of God set us free from slavery to this kingdom of darkness, which is evil and oppression and injustice and sin. God has set us free through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus from being victimized by sin and evil from others in the world, by being victimized by the chaos and destruction that is just endemic of life in our world. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, God is setting us free from the oppression and injustice, from the sin and the evil that we perpetuate and participate and inflict on others because of the way that it benefits us. God in Jesus has guaranteed that God will set us free. That language of set us free is actually in the Greek, the technical language for paying the price to redeem somebody out of slavery. That Jesus in his life and death and resurrection paid the price to set us free so that we no longer have to live under and live as a part of the oppression and evil that is endemic in our world. And we get to live instead. He's transferred us to the kingdom of the son whom he loves. We get to live in the kingdom of Jesus, which is the kingdom of love, where love reigns in people's hearts and minds towards God and towards each other, where love is the experience of all of us all the time, um, resulting in light and life and abundance and peace, flourishing for all. That's what God is doing in the world, not just in our lives, but for the whole creation there's this if you if you track the plagues in exodus you see this ever widening circle of god sovereignly claiming the world 
as God's own. The, the first plague is on the Nile. It strikes at the heart of the Egyptian empire, but plagues two, three, and four grow out of the water and the land and the air as if God is saying, I am fully sovereign over all of the elements of creation. The next two plagues afflict the livestock and the people as though God is saying, there is not a living thing in all of creation over which I am not sovereign. The last three plagues all originate in the heavens, the domain of the gods saying, as if God's saying on a cosmic level, even among the gods, I reign supreme. That God is claiming everything for God's self. In fact, you can see it. There's this interesting thread of verses through the plagues that all start with this idea that so that you may know. The first three plagues, it says, Moses says to Pharaoh, so that you may know who Yahweh is. Pharaoh had said, who's Yahweh that I should obey him? And Moses says, you want to know who Yahweh is? He will show you. God will show you. The second three plagues, which we read today, begin with this declaration, so that you may know that I am in the midst of Egypt and I am in control over everything that happens, not just in you, but in your land. The last three plagues begin with this statement that says, so that you may know that I am in all the earth and that all the earth is mine. The climactic idea in Exodus 9, 16 says, but I have raised you, Pharaoh, up for this very purpose, that I may show you my power and that my name may, might be proclaimed where? In all the earth. God says, my goal in everything is that all people everywhere would see that I am the God that brings light and life and abundance and peace through the overflow of my love so that the whole world may be filled with my flourishing and shalom so that everyone can experience and I will not stand for anything that disrupts my purposes. God's inviting us to participate with God in that. First, by what God wants to do for us, by the way that God will and is progressively and will set us free from the ways that we are victimized by the forces of chaos and oppression and injustice and death in this world. God is inviting us to participate in what God is going to do, not just for us, but in us, by setting us free from the ways that we participate in and perpetuate the sin and evil of chaos and injustice, mistreating others for our own advantage, either individually or systemically in our culture. God is setting us free by what he's doing for us, by what he's doing in us, and by what he wants to do through us as we participate with God in the overflow of God's love, setting the rest of creation free from chaos, injustice, destruction, and death, to experience the light and life and abundance and peace of the overflow of God's love, the flourishing that God dreams for all of us, for all creation. How do I think about 2020? Not as... God's judgment somehow on a society that had gone so astray that God's only recourse was to try and pound us into dust. 2020 was a reminder that the world is not the way that God would have the world be. 
in ways that are beyond our control, in ways and in ways that some of us perpetuate and participate in. And God is inviting us to become agents of light and life and abundance and peace through the overflow of God's love so that the whole world can experience the flourishing that God intended for all of creation. Let that be our mantra for 2021. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we repent. Those of us who benefit from the forces of empire, we repent of all of the ways that we've perpetuated and participated in sexism and racism and homophobia and ageism and ableism. Um, We repent of all of the ways that we have taken advantage of and allowed others to take advantage of weak and vulnerable people to benefit ourselves. And God, we thank you that you have set us free from this in Jesus Christ. God, on behalf of those whom empire does not benefit, we pray that you would provide release from systems of racism and sexism and homophobia and ageism and ableism, from mental health and disease and illness and from cycles of abuse and addiction and from every other way that we find ourselves oppressed by the evil that is running across purposes with your heart in the world. God, we come back to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray over and over again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name because you desire flourishing for us in your love. May your kingdom come for us and in us and through us. And may your will be done for us and in us and through us on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.